You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. Rather than basis being fixed supply, the supply of basis is expanded and contracted in direct response to the price of basis on the blockchain. So if the price is above a dollar, the protocol will expand the supply of basis to push the price back down to a dollar. And if the price of basis is below a dollar, the protocol will contract the supply of basis to push the price back up to a dollar. Today, we are joined by Nader Anaji, co-founder and CEO of Basis. Basis is building a cryptocurrency with an algorithmic central bank that aims to be stable and usable around the world. Basis believes the price volatility of cryptocurrencies is one of the biggest barriers to widespread adoption. Unlike the currencies we use today, most cryptocurrencies do not have a mechanism to keep purchasing power stable. There are many benefits to cryptocurrencies, including the ability to send a payment anywhere in the world almost instantaneously with little fees, and increased security from the ability to self-custody. However, many cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and Ethereum, are quite volatile, making it difficult to use these currencies to pay a salary or structure a loan with. Basis plans to initially be pegged to the U.S. dollar, so will have all the benefits of being a digital global cryptocurrency, but without the volatility. Most people in the developed world take for granted their access to a stable currency. In a developing world, however, the most stable currencies that people have access to are often inflating at annual rates of 10% or more. The market opportunity for Basis is enormous, as Basis has the potential to become a global store of value and medium of exchange. Welcome, Nader. Please introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your background. Hey, yeah, so my name is Nader Al-Naji, and I'm CEO of Basis. Before I started Basis, I was a software engineer at Google, and I worked in ads, and I worked in search. And before that, I was at D.E. Shaw doing algorithmic trading. And uh, before that, I went to Princeton undergrad, majored in computer science, and um, just really excited to be here. How did you get into crypto? So I got into Bitcoin actually when I was in college in 2012. Actually, in 2008, I remember reading the paper and I went to like a Bitcoin faucet and I tried to like compile the code and and run it and I failed the, (laughs) I timed out basically and didn't end up getting super into it in 2008. But in 2012, I basically really, really looked at the paper deeply and I, I actually understood enough about computer science to have my mind get blown by it. But the thing that really turned up my enthusiasm was uh, when my friends and I realized that there was free electricity on the Princeton campus. Because, uh, you know, for people who, uh, <laughs> who know about Bitcoin mining, one of the highest costs is actually the electricity that you use in order to uh, compute the hashes you need to mine Bitcoin. And so once we realized there was free electricity on campus, I basically ran the ac- economics on building my own mining machine and all of that. Yeah, so built a basic, you know, miner with two GPUs in it ended up mining about 22 bitcoins and the obsession was there forever. I was screwed at that point. You know, I got the bug. And then I actually got interested in monetary theory and monetary history and took a couple of classes on that. And that's actually also when I realized that bitcoin being fixed supply meant that it would be volatile basically forever. So, you know, in college got into bitcoin, actually looked into adding a monetary policy to bitcoin to maybe help uh, remove some of the volatility, but couldn't really figure out how to do it, couldn't crack the nut. And so basically there was this uh, hype wave for Bitcoin in college that happened a little bit after 
that. And then um, I basically really was into crypto, but I had an offer at a hedge fund at Deisha and I said, you know, all right, I'm just going to go there, but I'll keep an eye on it. And so, you know, checked in periodically until basically late 2016 when I really learned about, you know, what Ethereum was doing and all this stuff. And it actually became apparent that the kind of primitives that Ethereum had developed where you can do more sophisticated stuff with the blockchain, they basically demonstrated that you could do that, you know, made the idea for a basis possible. And so late 2016, had the idea for basis, wrote a blog about it in early 2017 that got a lot of interest, a lot of enthusiasm. In particular, actually, someone from Bain Capital and also Naval Ravikant reached out to me. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. So I actually had decided that I would leave Google to do basis because I was at Google in 2017. I put in my two weeks notice. And so in the first week of two weeks notice, I was inbounded by Naval Ravikant and um, Alex Pack, who was an investor in, at Bain Capital Ventures at the time. And uh, so this was in my, my first week of two weeks notice. And Naval was so excited about the project. He wanted to be a part of it immediately and, and suggested that you know, we do a seed round to give the project some credibility. I was going to just, you know, bootstrap it myself. You know, I, I had money and, and Satoshi did it himself. So I was like, why not? But Naval convinced me that basically having more people involved in a project, especially early on, can really help, help it get adopted, help it get uh, more mindshare. Basically, he convinced me to do a small seed round. And so in the first week of my two weeks notice, this happened. And, you know, Naval said, hey, let's do a seed round. And we hammered out some details on, on how we wanted to do it. Second week of two weeks notice, I just, I was doing Google work, you know, finished out my Google work like a good employee. Third week after I gave notice, I left Google and was in Silicon Valley pitching venture capitalists on stable cryptocurrency. So it's been a crazy ride since 2012. But, you know, that's kind of the picture. <laughs> so what is a stable coin and, and why do you think uh, stable coins are being dubbed the holy grail of crypto? A stable cryptocurrency is basically something that is trying to maintain stable value. So usually when people talk about it, they often, you know, they might say that they're pegged to a dollar or something like that. But really the idea is that the token, the thing that you are, are using is stable against a reference that people agree is useful. So for example, like a basket of goods. Right now, most stable currencies say that they're stable against a dollar, and that's just because everyone's using the dollar but in the long run, Basis and other people who talk about stable cryptocurrency, the goal is really to be stable against any useful reference in the economy. And the reason why being stable against a basket of goods is valuable is because when you do something like a long-term contract, like a loan or a salary, people want to know that the currency that they're getting in the future will be useful to them. And so that's why, you know, if somebody knows that they're going to need like milk and bread, you know, forever, that's just a basic human need. It makes sense that the currency's value is actually pegged to those assets because that way when someone does a long-term contract like a loan or a salary, they're actually willing to do that because it's not really just currency that they're getting. They're getting kind of the basic means of production as the unit of account for their contracts. And so you know, that's kind of why stable cryptocurrency is valuable is the unit of account for financial contracts is something that actually makes sense as opposed to something that's extremely volatile relative to the means of production in an economy. And so the reason why I think that people talk about stable cryptocurrency being the holy grail and why Basis is an exciting project is because when you have a cryptocurrency that is actually stable against 
the basic means of production in economy in an economy, then it actually unlocks ability to do all kinds of financial contracts that people wouldn't normally be willing to do, like loans, salaries, and other things like that. So some of our listeners may be wondering, if basis is pegged to the US dollar, why do I need to use basis when I can just use the US dollar? It's an excellent question. So if you're in an economy that already has access to stable currency, like the US or maybe uh, some countries in the Eurozone, then you might not want to use basis. You might be very happy with your currency. And that's perfectly fine. That That's a really good thing that you have access to that. But the reality is that most people in the world, uh, the most stable currency that they have access to is actually devaluing at a rate of 5 to 10% a year or more. And people in these countries, these are generally you know countries with high inflation. So things like imagine Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Argentina, Nigeria, countries like these. The people there... They don't really have access to stable currency. And, and a lot of it is because the currency that, that is guaranteed by the government isn't stable and there are logistical issues with actually getting stable currency. So in these countries, what you find is a lot of people work really hard to bring dollars into the country. So they'll sneak dollars in with them on their coats and stuff like that. Again, just to feed the demand for stable currency that is being denied them by the powers that be. So what Basis does as a stable cryptocurrency is it gives access to stable currency to anyone with an internet connection. And so suddenly you're not limited by the amount of paper you can transfer. Rather, you can transfer an infinite amount of currency in your head or remotely. And once you have it, it's actually yours, you know, so it can't be taken from you. Nobody even really knows you have it. And so Basis can provide a really painkiller to people in countries with devaluing currencies. And I think that's kind of the long run, most interesting use case of basis is in countries that have uh, currencies that are devaluing. In studying basis, I was very interested to learn that there's $9 trillion of negatively yielding bonds in the world, meaning if you hold that bond to maturity, you'll lose your principal, right? So that just goes to show you how valuable it is to have an asset that's stable and you can rely on uh, through time. So Nader, so tell us more about Basis. There are three components to Basis. How do they all tie together and how do they work? It's nice to kind of start with Bitcoin and then tell you kind of what Basis is on top of that. So what we see Bitcoin as having achieved, it really to us gave us the ability to run an app, which is just database and code, right? That's really what an app is, but without the need for an administrator or owner to govern the app. You know, rather it's a database and code and the rule for updating that code is basically everyone has to opt into the change. Everyone has to do an update. You know, there's obviously some politics with the miners and stuff like that. But what Bitcoin really gave us is a new way to design an app that has a non-dictatorship form of governance. So a traditional app like Uber or Airbnb or something like that, I would call it the dictatorship model because you basically have someone who can change the app, you know, with a snap of their fingers. All the code is different. The rules have changed. Whereas with Bitcoin, the rules that govern the app are fundamentally different. It was really the first app, I think, you know, there are other open source projects that kind of follow this, but it was a big breakthrough in non-dictatorship application development, I would say. And so that's kind of what Bitcoin is. And if you think about it, having a, a dictatorship governing an app is actually an extremely efficient thing because you can iterate it very quickly, get it to product market fit very quickly. And so you might wonder, like, wait, why is this slower kind of governance in an app preferred? And we think that basically for money, it just happened to be a killer app 
uh, for money, basically, because with money, the dictatorship model has inevitably resulted in abuse of the ledger. So basically, someone modifies the rules of the app to give themselves trillions of dollars or modifies the rules of the app to, you know, set people's rows of the database to zero and, you know, which is basically asset seizure. And so this alternative form of governance for a money app or a money database in particular happened to be a, a very useful thing. And so that's kind of how we view Bitcoin as kind of the base layer. The thing that Basis really did is we took the model that Bitcoin has. So basically a database with rules and a non-dictatorship form of governance. And we changed the rules a little bit so that rather than it being fixed supply, which is what Bitcoin is, and volatile, it's actually elastic supply and stable. And so the way to think about Basis is just imagine Bitcoin, but we change two things about it. The first is that we get the price of Basis from the outside world onto the blockchain in a decentralized way. The way to think about this is Bitcoin has miners and miners kind of quote unquote vote for which transaction is correct or which transactions to include in the ledger. And, uh, you know, their votes are weighted by how much hashing power they have. In basis, we have a similar process. But what we do is we instead of validating transactions, we get a price of the cryptocurrency onto the blockchain from the outside world in a similarly decentralized way. And so the price initially is a dollar. So basis is referenced against the dollar. But in the long run, that can be transitioned to an exchange rate between basis and a basket of goods. But initially, imagine that you get basis's value in dollars onto the blockchain in a decentralized way. That's the first change that we make to Bitcoin. The second change that we make is rather than basis being fixed supply, the supply of basis is expanded and contracted in direct response to the price of basis on the blockchain. So if the price is above a dollar, the protocol will expand the supply of basis to push the price back down to a dollar. And if the price of basis is below a dollar, the protocol will contract the supply of basis to push the price back up to a dollar. And the really cool thing about basis, and I think the thing that gets people really excited about it, is actually the way in which basis expands and contracts the supply. And in particular, the way that basis does that is actually analogous to what existing monetary systems do today, in particular, what the Fed does today. So when the Federal Reserve needs to contract the supply of money, it has a lot of different levers that it can use. But one of the biggest ones is actually it takes fiscal debt, it takes bonds off of its balance sheet and sells them into the economy for dollars. And so through that mechanism, bonds, which are kind of this less liquid asset, go into the economy and dollars, which is the currency, goes out of the economy. And so this generally, you know, increases interest rates, you know, quote unquote, but really what it's doing is you can think about it like that, or you can think about it as it's contracting the supply of dollars. And so basis in a very similar way, when it needs to contract the supply of basis of the currency, the protocol will sell a second type of token called a bond token, and it'll sell those tokens on the blockchain for basis. And so in the same way that, you know, the Fed sells bonds off its balance sheet, the protocol sells bond tokens, which are different than normal bonds, but it sells bond tokens on the blockchain for basis. And so basis goes out of circulation and bond tokens go into circulation. And the reason why people buy these bond tokens, why people would ever want to buy them, is because when the protocol needs to expand the supply of basis in the future, which again happens when the price is above a dollar, the protocol pays back the bond tokens at a rate of one basis per bond token in the order they were created. 
And so basically, when bond tokens are sold on the blockchain, those, they're sold in an auction. And you buy them with basis. So you can bid, for example, 0.9 basis or something like that per bond token. And when that bond token eventually pays out, it pays out in first and first out order, which is different than a normal bond. Obviously, the name isn't 100% correct. But when it pays out, you get one full basis to compensate you for the risk and the time value of the basis that you put in. Um, so you, you'd get one full basis. And so you would earn essentially a yield between the 0.9 that you paid and the one full basis that you get paid back. Now, there's one more wrinkle in how the system works. So we described how when the supply of basis needs to contract, bond tokens get created and sold, and the queue of bonds gets longer. And when the supply of basis needs to expand, the bond tokens are basically redeemed for one basis, and that queue of bonds gets shorter. Now, what the, the wrinkle is that when the supply of basis needs to expand a lot more than it's contracting, what happens is you need you have situations in which you need to create basis, but there are no bonds in the queue to give the money to. This is actually kind of like the zero lower bound phenomenon that traditional central banks experience, where you know they've kind of bought all of the you know fiscal debt in the economy, and they have to go out and figure out how do I get more money into the economy now that I've exhausted all of the basic debt that I would normally buy. And basis does this in a different way, solves this problem in a different way than existing central banks in a way that's almost a little bit simpler. So the way that it works is basis has a third and final token called a share token, which collects basis that needs to be printed pro rata when there are no bonds to pay. So when the supply of basis needs to expand, the protocol first checks if there are any bond tokens that it can pay back. And then if there aren't any bond tokens that it can pay back, the holders of share tokens and share tokens are a fixed supply asset. The holders of share tokens get that basis pro rata uh, distributed to them. And so just as a high-level example, if the protocol needs to expand the supply of basis by, let's say, 200, it needs to create 200 new basis, and suppose that there are 100 share tokens in existence, remember, let's, they're fixed supply, let's just say there's 100 of them, then each share token would receive a two-basis distribution paid to it. And so if you think about what's kind of happening here, it's really like we took Bitcoin, you know, which is a volatile asset. So imagine you took Bitcoin, which is a volatile asset, and split it into a stable asset, which is basis in this case, and a volatile asset that kind of captures the upside of the system. That's kind of what the share tokens are. And so the mechanism that we created with the three tokens that I mentioned are really kind of just splitting the upside from the, the stable value to create something that we can actually you know, use for mainstream transactions, which is the basis. And that's kind of how it works. And how do you interact with the three components of basis? So I, I imagine, you know, basis that are pegged to the US dollar, those will be traded on crypto exchanges. If I hold basis, how can I basically burn those for bonds? And also, how can I invest in some of the shares? The way we've designed the system, we want everything to happen on the blockchain. And so when you have basis, you are able to participate in auctions on the blockchain for bond tokens, and also for share tokens. So share tokens are actually also sold on the blockchain regularly for basis. Uh, you can interact with the system either by just having basis, which is probably what most people will do, or by being a speculator and taking your basis and buying share tokens and bond tokens on the blockchain. So Nader, what what is the big vision for basis? At a high level, what our company is, is trying to do, it's obviously we're trying to build a stable cryptocurrency, but even higher level than that, we're trying to make economies more efficient, in particular, like 10x more efficient. 
And so, you know, right now, a lot of people don't have access to stable currency. They're experiencing inflation and general mismanagement of their currencies. And it leads to just a massive, massive misallocation of capital and resources when you have that, right? Like lack of a reliable ledger and lack of a stable unit of account. It's just an extremely inefficient thing for a society. And we think that if you can fix that, if you can give the world a ledger that has a stable asset that people can use and account each other for, that you can just make uh, civilizations, groups of people, way more efficient, make their interactions yield much more value. And so really, at basis, we're just trying to make economies and groups of people 10 times more efficient. All of their transactions are accountable and you know, money and resources isn't just getting randomly lost, either through mismanagement of the ledger or other ways. And so the big vision is really that basis is used as a ledger that has a stable unit of account in it for countries all over the world, where right now, hyperinflation and general misallocation of resources is causing massive economic damage. And that's really the vision is to turn those countries around. And who do you think some of the initial users will be? I mean, obviously, there's demand in hyperinflating countries. There's demand from crypto traders that want a stable trading pair. Um, so you, you have all these interested parties in basis. And, and where do you think some of that initial demand will come from? Our vision is obviously very long term. So, you know, uh, people in, in hyperinflating countries is kind of uh, stage two, you could say, though it might happen more quickly than we expect. But really, you know, the kind of beachhead market for us, kind of the early adopters we expect to be, like you mentioned, traders on cryptocurrency exchanges, where basically a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges don't support fiat. And so there's a lot of demand for a stable asset that you can use to kind of hedge. So if you think Bitcoin is going to go down and you're on a crypto exchange with no fiat, you don't really have somewhere to put your money to hide it from the crypto volatility. And so basis can be a stable asset on these crypto exchanges that gives traders a tool they can use to keep their assets stable, either in between trades or when they think the market's going to go down. Beyond that, things get more uh, you know, speculative and kind of high level. We think basis has a lot of potential to be used as a tool for crowdfunding, for example, for ICOs. Um, so a lot of projects right now are raising money with Bitcoin and Ethereum. We actually, in our private presale, we accepted Bitcoin and Ethereum, and we actually actively kind of discouraged the use of it because, you know, its price was fluctuating a lot and it was logistically a very difficult thing to accept crypto because of all that volatility from an accounting standpoint. But people are doing that. They're, they're accepting crypto in spite of the volatility because it's a really great tool to fundraise internationally. It's really democratized venture capital and financing of deals. And we think that basis can actually be this kind of lingua franca that allows people to fundraise internationally, but without the volatility of the cryptocurrencies that they're using today. And so being used for crowdfunding for ICOs initially is another kind of little bit of a beachhead market that we expect we can get into. Then, you know, once people are out there and using it for use cases like this, we think then we can start probably getting traction as a store of value in countries that have inflating currencies, and then hopefully work our way out of that to being an actual medium of exchange for people in those countries. And so there's kind of this ring of use cases, you know, the very obvious crypto trader use case, which is a pretty big one, then kind of the applications where people are trying to do financial transactions that involve time in crypto already, and then you work your way out into kind of a store of value more broadly. And Nader, what, what could go wrong with Basis? 
importantly, people have to understand that no currency can remain stable under, under all circumstances. People kind of take for granted the fact that we've actually only had the dollar. The dollar as we know it today has only really existed since World War II, which is literally like, like a blip in historical terms. And so even if basis improves the reliability of existing currencies by 10 times, right? even if basis is 10 times more reliable and stable than existing currencies, it could still fail if there's a sufficiently disruptive global economic disaster. Obviously, something like World War III would totally obliterate any currency. So that's really, I think, kind of where basis fails is situations in which having stable value is just totally undermined by the global economic climate. Um, and these things can, can totally happen. Talk a little bit about the stablecoin landscape. There are the asset-backed stablecoin projects like TrueUSD, Tether, although Tether has certain allegations against it that people can Google. And then there's you know, Make or Die and, and other projects that use crypto as collateral to fund the stable part of the project there. So, so how do you view the stablecoin landscape and how does Basis fit into that in terms of some of the pros and cons of its design? Our goal with designing Basis is to create a stable, independent neutral currency in the long run. We don't want to be pegged to any particular currency in the long run. We really want it to be its own independent monetary system. And the reason for that is pretty simple. I mean, if, if you think about the US, you know, the US dollar, right, you have China that doesn't really want to use the US dollar, like, you know, the government in China doesn't like the US dollar. Similarly, people in the US don't want to use China's money. If you can have something that's truly global and independent and also stable, you solve a lot of these kind of geopolitical issues because everybody's speaking the same language. They're all using the same currency. And so we think Basis is actually very unique in that it can actually be its own standalone independent monetary system. And that, that vision is really what sets us apart, you know, at the kind of grandiosity of the long run. And so, you know, when you look at something that is, you know, backed by dollars or, or something like that, one-to-one, it's going to be definitely useful. It's definitely useful as a, as a tool but we think that it's not really going to scale to being an independent currency. So think about like a country like Argentina isn't going to base itself on a currency that is basically a, a pot of dollars controlled by a company. Rather, you know, it really needs something independent, something that is kind of standalone, which a blockchain or, or something that's really not dollar backed can deliver like basis. When it comes to other projects that are crypto collateralized and stuff like that, I think the issue there is just Backing it by, uh, you know, something like Ethereum isn't really, I think Ethereum being a volatile asset, you know, it doesn't really make sense to back yourself by something that is itself inherently volatile. And so I think a bunch of projects are trying to do that. And, you know, I think it's very dangerous. Like I think a crash in Ethereum can kind of crash that whole system and Ethereum crashes a lot. I mean, it kind of had a big crash right now. And so that's, that's a little bit scary. More broadly, I think really, if you want the thing to be independent, you have to really think about how does this thing exist on its own without really relying on Ethereum or relying on the dollar. I think that's what Basis is trying to go for that really sets it apart from other projects. So please tell me a little bit more about the Basis team. I mean, obviously on the outside in the media, you read that the Basis team is three co-founders who all went to Princeton, who are all summa cum laude computer science majors. So uh, very impressive headline, and you've built a deep bench of talent to support the founders there. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the team you've assembled. Yeah. So in particular, one, one of my co-founders, Lawrence, I've known him for a very long time. So we went to high school together, went to Princeton together. We interned at DE Shaw together. We worked at Google together uh, for years on sister teams initially, and then on the same team. 
And so, you know, him, I've known obviously a very long time. But what's really amazing is the executive team that we've managed to get excited about the project. So we have um, Brian Freiberger, who's our CTO. He actually uh, co-invented Invisalign, which is the uh, innovative kind of braces technology, like for your teeth. And a lot of people don't know that that actually required some pretty sophisticated software engineering. He actually was, was also at Stanford at the same time Larry and Sergey were there, which is kind of funny. And after that, he actually worked at Alexa, which sold to Amazon. And you know, he was like in the lobby pitching Amazon on Alexa at the same time Larry and Sergey were there pitching them on using Google. <laughs> and so he's been through a lot. And then after the dot-com days, he went to work in algorithmic trading. And so he was CTO of multiple high-frequency trading firms, including Tower Research Capital. And uh, he worked at Hudson River Trading, Radix Trading. So yeah, so he's, he's got kind of this knowledge of finance and also computer science that we really need to build out to do what we're doing. And that's Brian, who's our CTO. And then we have Susan Sid, who was... Um, formerly a legal director and managing director at Goldman Sachs. Um, And so she's our general counsel. Also very lucky to have her. I mean, she went to Harvard undergrad and Harvard law and is an extremely, extremely experienced legal practitioner. We have Rob Dennis, who's our head of recruiting, and he was uh, head of technical recruiting at Bridgewater. He was the first recruiter they hired. And so he's helping us scale the team even more. Dion Gordon, who's our chief of staff, formerly chief of staff to Knight Capital Group. It's a big publicly traded company. And then, of course, our engineers, there's a bunch of them. But, uh, you know, just to call out Nate and Wei, who both have decades of experience from the algorithmic trading world and a bunch of other really, really great people on the team. Yeah. And one of my favorites to talk about. So as a former economics major in college, I was thrilled to see John Taylor come on as a formal advisor. He's also a Princeton grad. Tell the audience a little bit about John Taylor and why he's so excited about Basis. Yeah, so we're very lucky to have had John Taylor come on as an advisor. So what's really interesting about John Taylor is he actually pioneered a field or kind of a concept in in monetary theory uh, known as rules-based monetary policy. And it's basically this concept that a transparent and rules-based monetary policy can potentially do better than one that is discretionary. And so, for example, the Fed today is mostly discretionary. And John Taylor's work says maybe you can run things a different way. Maybe you can uh, have a fixed kind of rule, set of rules that govern the monetary policy, and maybe that'll do better. And so what's really awesome is his work, it really kind of paved the way, not only for basis, but kind of for cryptocurrency more broadly when you really look at it. And so when we met him and talked to him about our project, you know, he was basically like, I've been looking for something like this for a very long time. I really want to be involved. And so, you know, we're just really, really excited to have him on board. A lot of people also don't know that John Taylor was actually a a runner-up for Fed chairman, and he was a big economic advisor during the Bush administration. And so from our side, you know, having someone with that depth of experience has really helped us kind of understand what kind of almost like how better how traditional monetary systems work. So we can take that knowledge, combine it with the primitives, you know, that cryptocurrency give us and really innovate. And so hugely valuable to have him. And how, how can our listeners follow the progress of BASIS? Very simple. Uh, You know, we have a website, basis.io. You can go there, uh, sign up. And, um, you know, if you have any particular questions, you can email me. My email's on the white paper. So Nader, so moving to some of the trends in cryptocurrency right now, you're on the front lines building a really important project. What are some trends you're observing in the crypto ecosystem? Yeah, so we're, we're very lucky, actually, to have projects emailing us every day, talking about what they're working on and how they want to use basis. You know, there seems to be a lot of demand for what we're working on. 
And it's really cool because it kind of gives us a window into where the markets are going. And, and it's very, very fascinating. And so at least for me, what, I, what I'm seeing and what I think will be pretty big going forward is we see some projects uh, that are in particular crypto derivatives exchanges. Uh, so basically a derivatives market on the blockchain, crypto margin lending. So the ability to basically put up collateral in one asset and borrow in another asset all on the blockchain decentralized exchanges. So, you know, custody being transferred on the blockchain. And so I think those are some pretty big trends that we are seeing. And there are in particular things that I think will really be turbocharged by basis, particularly any kind of derivatives on the blockchain derivatives offering. I think what we're going to start seeing is more and more, you know, people are going to start moving more of, of the existing financial services and the, and the existing financial system onto the blockchain in order to get kind of the big benefits, one of the biggest ones being that you can kind of self-custody your assets and transparently see what's happening. And so, yeah, so I think more and more we're going to start seeing things like that uh, move into blockchain land. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you fast forward to 2025, Nader, what do you think is different about the global monetary system than today? I hope that, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously that the basis is out there and being widely used. In particular, I think that people will be transacting and storing their money differently than there are than they are today whether it's basis or whether it's something else basically you know you're going to be able to custody your own assets if you want you're not going to have to rely on a third party institution to do it for you though many people probably will and then i think the other big thing is i, I really do think that we're going to start seeing uh, kind of smart contracts used for more of the existing financial transactions that we use today storing of money and the, the moving of money around is going to be pretty different than what we see today, uh, regardless you know, of where basis is by then. So these are some questions we always ask to our guests. What mix of crypto assets do you personally own? <laughs> oh, that's great. It might surprise some people to know that I have uh, a lot of Bitcoin. I am uh, mainly a, a Bitcoin person. I do have some Ethereum and I really, really believe in and, and support that project. But in terms of, of what I hold, it's, it's mainly Bitcoin. The reason why is actually, I think if you look at the existing monetary system today, what you really see is there's kind of gold, which is this volatile, speculative commodity type asset that people use as a store of value. And then you really have dollar, right? Which is almost like the lubricant of the economy. Like you use it for transactions, use it for a unit of account, use it for store of value as buffer capital. And so, you know, if you look at the market, rather the, the kind of size of each of these they're actually comparable. You know, gold is many trillions. The dollar has many trillions in value. And so I think in the future, it's quite possible that we see a digital gold like Bitcoin coexisting with kind of like a digital stable currency, the digital dollar like basis. And so to me, the rational bet is Bitcoin, which is kind of to me the front runner of digital gold. And obviously putting my own energy and blood, sweat and tears into basis to make that second asset, which we haven't really seen yet, which is the digital dollar. And final question, we always ask our guests as well. So the crypto market has a valuation of $200 billion today. What total valuation, or at least what direction, do you think will end the year? I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot time the market. I don't, I don't even try. I really don't know. But what I do know is that if society can develop a cryptocurrency that is scalable, stable, and possibly has you know, really good privacy features, that's going to completely change the world. It's going to completely turn everything upside down. And so for me, you know, I, I don't know when we're going to be all the way there, but I feel like it's in my lifetime. 
And for that reason, you know, I have a bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> but yeah, I really have no idea where the market's going to go by the end of the year. But broadly, I'm a bull. So. <laughs> the key takeaways from today's episode are, one, there are many benefits to cryptocurrencies, but the volatility may be a major friction to widespread adoption. Two, Basis is a stablecoin project that uses an on-chain, algorithmic central bank to stabilize its price. And three, the stablecoin market is becoming increasingly competitive with new projects emerging, but Basis has the most scalable model and is the most well-capitalized stablecoin project to date. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.